The following program is being brought to you on the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Inside Out, your host, Beth Green. This is James Maynard, your co-host. Today's topic, honesty or dumping, which is it? When are we being honest and when are we dumping, venting, or blaming others? Can we always tell the difference? Let's ask Dr. Brad Blanton, whose book Radical Honesty was a national bestseller and who has authored seven more books on the theme. What is radical honesty? How is it different from dumping? How can it change our lives and our world? If you want support being honest with yourself or others, stay tuned. Join this lively discussion about honesty, self-honesty, and its impact on our relationships and our world. And later on, we'll be inviting you to call in with your questions or comments. And now let's hear from your host, Beth Green, from The Inside Out. Hi, everybody. Welcome to today's show. I have a feeling that there's going to be a bunch of people listening in today who haven't listened to our show before because they want to hear Brad. And hopefully they're going to want to hear our conversation. They're going to want to hear me too. And uh, I'm looking forward to that too. Uh, but before we do that, I always start with some commentary, some monologue. I usually talk about the topic at hand. But today I feel like I want to in- introduce some other topic first. And I don't know how – If those of you who know me know that everything is spontaneous here. We have nothing planned, so <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to talk about. Uh, but I feel drawn to talk about two things. One is Syria, and the other one is uh, income distribution in the U.S. And uh, some of you are sitting there thinking, oh, my God, you know, either she's going to be so radical or she's going to be so conservative or whatever. And I'm not really sure what I'm going to say about either, but we'll find out together. I think the thing about Syria is that I feel a relief, and I think many people do, about the fact that we're not going in there immediately to start yet another military uh, expedition by the U.S. But uh, underneath that relief, there's also a kind of a sadness about what we humans do to one another and how helpless we feel uh, to do anything about it. I, I think that, and so I'm not going to give you, oh, this is what you should think and what you should believe. I just want to share with you how I've been feeling during this whole process, which is I'm aghast, of course, as the rest of you are, at 100,000 people being killed in a civil war. I'm distrustful of all sides, and I'm very reluctant to see the U.S. intrude itself when we seem to blunder into these situations and in ill-advised sorts of ways and that a lot of people get hurt and not that much good comes out of it. And there's one other thing that I uh, that I would like to share about that which is that you know we get kind of uh, high and mighty about our righteous indignation about chemical warfare. Now, chemical warfare is horrible. I- I'm not saying it isn't, but didn't we use chemical warfare in Vietnam from 
like 1961 to about 1971 when we used Agent Orange. And some of you are too young to have followed what was going on in that war, but we used these, this Agent Orange was a herbicide, and what it did is it devastated the crops and the forests and uh, forced people out of their homes and out of the villages and forced them into these overcrowded slums in the cities uh, where we, the good guys who were not good, are uh, protecting our allies, the South Vietnam, uh, South Vietnamese government, which was very corrupt. We good guys were forcing them into these slums uh, where we could control them better and where that would uh, give some advantage to the good guys. And the the consequences of that Agent Orange have been hideous. The Vietnamese have tremendous number of birth defects, uh, other awful uh, experiences, uh, damage uh, to the human beings, as well as devastation to the countryside. And that was chemical warfare. So please, let's not get righteously indignant. In fact, if I remember correctly, the U.S. government gave blankets with smallpox to Native Americans when we wanted to get them off the land. So chemical warfare did not start with Assad. And I don't know, if you ask me, dropping napalm, which is a kind of a bomb that had people uh, go into, ignite into flames, was chemical warfare also. So I appreciate all sides of this debate, and I can appreciate the concern that we all have, but what are our motives when we go to war? Are we really saying what's behind, you know, which is kind of the theme of radical honesty? I mean, can you imagine if our government was radically honest using Brad's terms and they got out there and said, well, I don't know, we don't really know what we're doing, but, you know, we feel uh, we have to do something. Or if we said, you know, we've got interests at stake here and uh, or whatever it is, and they were really honest with us. But would we even accept that level of honesty? Would the American public want to know how much our leaders don't know what they're doing any more than we do? And uh, how corrupt so many of our motives are. Are we ready for that? Or do we really want to have some John Wayne leading us into the sunset like we did with the Iraq invasion, which was, you know, crazy? where we also justified our behavior based on them being bad, unleashing sectarian violence uh, by getting rid of Saddam Hussein, not knowing what we were doing, and doing it for whatever reasons we did that we were not really revealing. So, my God, I wish we had some radical honesty or any kind of honesty from leaders, but are we ready for it? And, of course, that's a question that we have in our own relationships. Are we actually ready for not only to express the truth about what we think and feel, but also to hear what our partners and our friends and our bosses have to say to us um, without being abusive, but just being totally honest? And the other thing that struck me is I just read, this will come as no surprise to any of you out there, that the top 1% of U.S. earners, I don't know what an earner is. That means somebody who got money. That means like if you had stocks, you're an earner. It doesn't mean that you uh, had to work. Um, the top 1% took a record share of the 2012 U.S. income. That was 19.3% of the entire income of the nation 
was went to the top 1%. And this is the largest share in the history of our nation since the time that the IRS started figuring, which was over a century ago. The last record was in, was 18.7% in 1927, which was two years before the stock market crashed, for those of you who don't uh, have access to that kind of memory either. And uh, when I looked at this, I don't know, I said, I have got to mention this on the air, but I'm not sure why. Uh, is it that I feel like, oh, it's not fair? I mean, I'm always happy when my income goes up. You know, uh, when I have an increase in income, even though I feel bad for other people, I'm not actually going out there and giving it away. So I could very easily get indignant about that figure. And there's lots to be concerned about because there's a lot of people in our nation who are suffering. There's a lot of people who can't get a minimum wage of, you know, $15 an hour or $9 an hour or $10 an hour. But I could get really righteously indignant about this. But I guess, you know, if we're practicing real honesty, that to me implies that we are willing to be honest about ourselves and with ourselves. And I, I think that Brad is a great believer in that. So I would like to bring him in in just a moment. I'd just like to share that um, James uh, went through his book, Radical Honesty, which is um, Brad's first book. And I did too. I to be honest, I did not read the entire book, which I can't do for every guest that I have, but I tried to get a sense of what he was saying. I also understand that Brad has written seven books and is onto a new process, or I don't know how new it is for him, the course of completion. So he has, I'm sure, evolved tremendously even since the time of that first book. And I feel excited about many of the things that he said because they're so parallel to things that I believe in. That's why this program is called Inside Out. We, we believe in self-disclosure. We le- believe in honesty. The stream community that I founded uh, believes in those same things too. We have a lot of ways of working together. Um, and I immediately went into my head about, okay, is this going to be a pissing match between Brad and me about who is better at being radically honest or whose system is better? And I want to disclose that right off the bat. And I don't want that. I really want us to end sibling rivalry and come in together to support one another on the fact that we are two people and our communities. I'm sure he has a great community of people that we are communities of people along with many others in this world who are trying to change us from the inside out and starting with a much greater degree of honesty than we've ever had, getting over trying to look like something that we're not. And so in that spirit, I would love to invite Brad to join us on the air. Brad, are you with us? I'm here. Hi. Hi. (laughs) So how do you feel being here? I like it fine. I like what you said at the beginning about Syria, and I'm in agreement with you. You know, my, I have a recent book called The Corporate Cannibal Cookbook, where I say that cannibalism is the answer to global warming, that we already have cannibalism because corporate cannibals devour poor people in order to get rich, <laughs> and then we just keep doing the same thing, only we start eating from the top. Mm-hmm. If we were to start killing and eating multi-billionaires, it wouldn't be long before we reestablished a balance. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Brad. I think you're my kind of a guy. 
<laughs> so let me start out. Instead of giving a garbled version of what I understood about what radical honesty is, why don't I first – and by the way, I'm not letting you off the hook. I did introduce – a topic which is what's the difference between venting and honesty and I really really would love to have your thoughts uh -huh. on that but before we get to that I think it's it would be great for our audience and even for me to hear uh, how you see what you're seeing about radical honesty now how you define it and um, so why don't you just take it from there well uh, the simplest definition of radical honesty is that it's sharing what you notice um, if you take the entire awareness continuum, everything you can possibly be aware of, you can divide it into three parts. You can be aware of what's going on within the confines of your own skin right now. You can be aware of what's going on outside of you right now. And you can be aware of what's going through your mind right now. And that's all there is. There just ain't no more. That's it. That's the three parts. And so radical honesty is simply reporting what you notice going on outside of you report what you notice going on within the confines of your own skin and report what you notice going through your mind simply directly and honestly now i love that idea i'm sure that well i shouldn't say you've noticed this but i would suspect that you've noticed this too that sometimes we think that we're giving an honest report of what we're seeing but what we're really doing is giving a, uh, a dishonest report <laughs> of what we're seeing, which is mm -hmm. seeing it through whatever filter we already have, uh, right. you know, and our feelings. And how, how do you deal with that? Well, I try to get people to get dumb instead of smart. I don't think people need to get smarter. They need to get dumber. Mm -hmm. In fact, after many years of running this eight-day workshop for about 20 three years, I ran about four or five eight-day workshops a year with about 16 people at a time called The Course in Honesty. And about midway through that process, we discovered a chant that leads to enlightenment within three minutes without fail. And uh, the chant is, I usually charge a lot of money for this. I'm okay. just giving it away for free. <laughs> Thank you. I hope my audience really appreciates what we're getting here. Okay, right. take it away. Ben. Here's the chant. This okay. chant will lead to enlightenment within three minutes. Okay. Duh. Oh, my God. Duh. Duh. And Duh. If, you slobber, if you slobber, you can get there in a minute and a half. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> you, just, you just get dumber than a stick and you just say whatever's in front of you what you see what you think what you feel just like you didn't know any better like you were a kid mm -hmm. like you weren't filtering and polishing and manipulating and abstracting and doing things to make sure that you were being polite or or manipulating other people the way you wanted to manipulate them. you just quit doing that just don't be sophisticated don't be smart just be dumb and you just start acting like a dummy if you actually do that you find that you're happier at home, you get laid more, you get along better at work, you get raises, and, and people love you, and everything works better in your whole life, just from that. choosing to be dumb and I honest in a stupid way. You know? we, uh, I wrote a book called Living with Reality, and this book uh, the, has a whole you know, program of change, and one of the platforms is Becoming Not Knowing. Yes. And it's exactly, exactly what you're talking about. It's like, 
let's stop pretending that we know anything. Yes. That in fact we have a series of beliefs and these beliefs work or they don't work, but they're not, not the truth and we should never confuse them with the truth. And when they stop working, dump them. But what I've discovered, Brad, and you may have discovered this too, that if it comes to a toss-up between the truth, you know, what we see, reality, let me put it this way, the toss-up between reality and our beliefs, reality must go. And that's what yeah. usually what we do. That's right. Yeah. We must be awfully scared to live in a world where we are so vulnerable that we have to pretend that we know something. And, and look at the pressure that puts on us to have to follow through and then prove we were right. Yeah. We have this exercise we do in my workshops called Sometimes I Pretend. And we just go around the circle and people say the things that they pretend. And they start getting more and more honest about the things they pretend. And it, before long, everybody's laughing and yeah. carrying on because they think, I do that too, I do that too. And right. everybody <laughs> realize how much our life is wrapped up in pretense. It's like we're, we're just like permanent perennial adolescents. We're always acting like this and acting like that. When in fact, it's, not, it's just something we came up with because we imagined someone else would like to hear it. Or that we could get what we wanted from them by pretending yeah. that. Yeah, and that it'll give us some kind of prestige. But isn't it ironic how often it is true that everybody sees through us? Well, yeah, the thing is, all of us liars know each other. It's just that <laughs> few, of us, few of us have the courage to go and say, hey, that was a lie. Sorry, right. that was just BS I just said. <laughs> right. But actually... If anybody does that, you're just so grateful to them. You just want to go hug them immediately. Right. Because they, they're being honest and you just are completely charmed like you are with a child, you know. Children, you just say it like it is. It's, it's so endearing most of the time. <laughs> yes, and and that really gives people freedom. In fact, that's one of the purposes of this show is, you know, and I've said this to the community, I want to help to create a community, an online community, where it's uh -huh. safe to be real. Uh -huh. So um, I am going to ask you when we're going to be going to commercial break in a few minutes, and I would really like you to, to share your thoughts about uh, venting, dumping, and being real and how, because sometimes people aren't just telling it like it is. They're really out to, to get you. And usually that's because of some pain that they have within them. But it's kind of, you know, there it is. And I see that in myself sometimes. You know, I'm really, I'm angry, but it's really because I'm embarrassed or there's something else that's going on with me. And I'd love to hear your take on that. But before uh, I bring you back, we're going to be going to commercial break. And during that break, I believe they're going to be announcing the phone number. And I'm also, when we come back from the break, I'm going to ask James to make sure that he repeats that number because there may be people who would like to call in and not let me hog all the questions. So let's go to break now and don't hang up. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Bring Beth into your world in person or via the Internet. Learn how by visiting her website, BethGreen.org. At the website, sign up for her newsletter to keep abreast of her latest activities, blogs, videos, and more. Just for signing up, 
you'll receive a free PDF copy of Living with Reality, her 688-page volume that helps us understand ourselves in relatable terms, as well as offers a proven program to heal and co-create a better world. But there's more. Learn about Beth's four other books, both fiction and nonfiction. Check out her gorgeous music, which is heartfelt and mystical. Become acquainted with Beth and James's programs for healing and training, and discover their community, the Stream Center for the New Spirituality, which welcomes you wherever you are in the world. All this and more can be found at Beth's website, www.bethgreen.org. Again, that's bethgreen.org. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You're tuned in to Inside Out with Beth Green and co-host James Maynard. To reach us on the show, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. If you'd rather send us an email, the address is Beth at bethgreen.org. Now, back to Inside Out. Hi, again. And you just heard that phone number, but you know, sometimes repetition is good. James, can we have that number again? Sure. Once again, that number to call is 866-472-5795. That's 866-472-5795. Okay, so... I'm sure all of us have had experiences where somebody says, I just have to tell you that you and that you and that you and you did this and you did this and you did this. And sometimes the person is right. Sometimes the person is partially right. And sometimes the person is just out of their minds. And um, so <laughs> and very often people like that are using that kind of aggressive energy to control, to dominate, to hurt, you know, to vent. So, Brett, tell me how, how you see that and what you do around that. Well, you can use anything. for You can, use, you can say you're being radically honest. And usually people are giving evaluative categories, judgments. They're telling people what's right and wrong about them. And the thing is, <clears throat> at that level of abstraction, there is no description. They're only describing what's going on in their mind. And they need to report it in such a way as saying, what I'm thinking is, mm -hmm. or what's going on in my mind is. And that still may hurt your feelings or offend you a little bit, but you can take it fine. Mm -hmm. The point is, you need to stick with people if they get their feelings hurt or offended until they get over it. And do the same thing yourself. Unless we practice some kind of way of feeling our way through things instead of thinking our way around things and get to forgiveness, there's no use in having a conversation at all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because... The power that a human being has to be able to be nurturing to other human beings and to be creative in life depends critically on your ability to get over things. And uh, you can't get over things if you're living in the categories of the mind. So if you're saying to somebody some kind of like ongoing category of classification, you know, you're an SOB, you're a so forth like that. Sometimes you need to start that way. Well, go ahead. If you start out by dumping, that's fine. Just get down to where you're not dumping anymore, and you're saying, I resent you for your tone of voice when you said, be quiet. I don't want to hear what you're saying anymore. Or what, when you say specifically what they said or did, 
and you say that it's you being mad at them, that's more honest. Mm -hmm. And the dumping is dishonest because basically it acts as though uh, God herself has proclaimed that you're wrong. <laughs> and mm -hmm. it's not, it's, it's just a, the beginning of an argument may be that way. But what you need to do is eventually get down to very specific things. And usually the specifics are that you're a little pettier than you like to admit. Mm -hmm. You just get offended by some little change in tone of voice or, you know, it's like, so you're, when you're, you've been married for years and whenever your wife has their period, you know, she gets a little more sharper <laughs> and, <laughs> and you're tuned to listen to it. As soon as you hear it, you get mad and you explain to her about how she's wrong again because it must be her period. And you're, you're blaming her for having a period, being wrong, and all those other things. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you say, I resent you for your tone of voice, you can say, it's just me being mad at you for using that tone of voice right now. That's what mm -hmm. it is. Mm -hmm. And then you feel the resentment. It increases, then it decreases, and then it goes away. Because what we're after is experiencing our experience so that we can get over it. Because when you experience an experience, it comes and goes. Mm -hmm. But when you resist experiencing an experience by categorizing it or proving it right or wrong or thinking about it, you're basically causing it to persist. Mm -hmm. And what causes, what persists is the category you have of condemnation for the other person. Mm -hmm. And that persists and persists. You don't ever be, you don't ever get over being the, the one who's condemning them. Where you, if you just say, I'm mad at you for that, Mm -hmm. It's just you being mad. You can get over that eventually mm -hmm. because you're telling the truth about it. You're looking at them in the eyes and both you're sharing. They will say, well, I resent you for your resentment. And you can have an argument. It's fine. Mm -hmm. It's you have an argument that's fruitful so that you get over it. In a little while you say, okay, pass the salt. Okay, here, thanks. <laughs> and there we go again. It's but, like yeah. it's your ability to get over things. It's, it, you have to start out by dumping. Go ahead. I recommend, if it's the best you can do, at least you're going toward honesty, I recommend that you hurt people's feelings, and I recommend that you offend people, and I recommend that you get your feelings hurt and get offended, and I recommend that you stick with each other until you get over that, that you stick with each other until they get over their hurt feelings and they're being offended, and you stick with yourself and they stick with you, that you do that so that you can get someplace beyond just the dismissive categories of the mind. You know, a mind is a highly overrated thing. Mm -hmm. I'm, one of the chapters of my books is titled, A Mind is a Terrible Thing. Wasted. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I understand that. Uh, but I, I'm just, I'd like to pursue this a little bit further because this is such an important uh, aspect for us in a community. And, you know, generally speaking, you know, I do, I'm not saying that I don't agree with most of what you're saying, but I get, I have some difficulties in some places and I wanted to share that, which is that for a lot, people are, I don't know how you see this, but I think people are crazy. And I think that almost everybody's crazy, if not everybody. Uh, and what I mean by that is that we live out of these distortions that we don't even see. And let's say you're, you're having an argument with somebody and they say, I resent you for having said this, but you didn't say it. Mm -hmm. Or I resent you for having done this and you didn't do it. And then after you have an argument, you say, well, I resent the fact that you're telling me that I did this when I didn't do this or whatever you do. And they don't let it go. 
And then it goes on. And then it, you know, if no matter how many times you have this conversation, they're going to come at you and at you and at you. You know, there's a motive behind that. It's like there's a reason for everything, right? There is a reason that that's happening. And a lot of people have that experience in their relationships. And that's one of the reasons that I'm asking you uh, this question, because people have this experience with partners who then after a while you look at them and you say, are they crazy? Am I crazy? Then you go to your friends and say, did I do that? You're sitting there thinking, I didn't do that, did I? And you'll have 14, I've had, I just had this recently. You know, but you're already in that. The problem is you're already in a right and wrong argument then. You, you, you need to say, you can't say I resent the fact that you said that. You say I resent you for saying that. So that's okay. an I, I vow relationship. It's not a mind to mind. Okay. I resent you for saying that. Okay. And, you, you, and then they say, well, that's what you said. You say, I resent you for saying that's what I said. Okay. And they say, well, that is what you said. I resent you for saying that is what you said. And you just stay with what comes up in you. Don't go to the right and wrong argument. And so you're saying they didn't say mm-hmm. it. They're saying they did say it. So fine. You might be stuck about what's right and wrong, but mm-hmm. you'll get somewhere about what you feel your way through. Because you're in contact with them, in contact with your experience in your body, and in contact with what's going to your mind, and you're sharing it. And what eventually happens is you'll find out that it's not important which one of you is the craziest. You're right in your first statement. Both of you are. <laughs> this is, I've done lots and lots of couples therapy. One of the things that makes couples therapy so simple and wonderful is one of the couples come in and they start telling me what the problem is. And I say, okay, what's the problem as you see it? And they tell me. And they get through, I turn to the other and say, what's the problem as you see it? And then they both tell it in quite some time. They tell exactly what the problem is. And then they look at me like I'm supposed to be the judge who knows yeah. which one's right and wrong. And I say, yeah. I think you're both full of BS. <laughs> yeah. So they, they gang up against me and they're together again and the therapy worked. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. That's funny. I, I do couples counseling too. Uh-huh. And I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And people come in and they say, okay, fix him. And then he'll say, come, you know, I'm coming in to yeah. fix her. But right. have you, but in all honesty, Brett, have you ever been in a situation where just saying, I resent you for saying that does not lead to healing? Well, the, it does almost all the time. We have a commercial for radical honesty. We have a bumper sticker. It says radical honesty. It works pretty good most of the time. Okay, I like that. <laughs> but see, I like it's that. An honest commercial. That and that the, is honest. Yeah. Uh, I have a question too, if I may yes. ask it. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Uh, following up on this discussion here, uh, I like what you said about don't go don't go into the mental and stay with the feelings, but. I've been through a lot of, of those kind of processes where you just vent those feelings like I'm angry at you and I resent you and all that. And that can just go on endlessly. And it can, uh, I can get reports back from the other person that they're feeling attacked uh, and dumped on and all that stuff. And uh, it doesn't necessarily uh, in and of itself uh, result attacked, in a resolution. Uh, attacked, yeah. and, attacked and dumped on are not feelings. Those are interpretations of feelings. Uh-huh. And, uh, but basically, they're both in an argument about who's right and wrong already. Mm-hmm. When I'm talking about at the level of sensation, when you say I resent you, so there's an I-thou relationship, I-you, and the active transitive verb resent, meaning it re- represents the feelings, the sensations, the rapid heart rate, the tension, and the rapid breathing in your body. 
And so you get to experience that while you're experiencing them, and you're just saying what's in your mind that you remember. You're not in a right and wrong game. And it doesn't go on forever if you pay attention to your experience, because your experience will not persist if you're not resisting it. So what happens is that, that when you're trying to vent feelings, vent feelings is an idea that's already abstract. You don't vent feelings, you acknowledge experiences. So it's not a matter of dumping it to get rid of it. It's a matter of naming it so you can experience it, so you can get over it. And if you jump up to the level of having an argument about who's venting and who's not venting, you're right, that goes on and on forever. So you can say, well, you're just dumping, and then you can, have, you can be right for years about what's wrong with your mate. And being right and not being wrong about that will get you, like, if you got a dollar and a half next, extra, a cup of coffee. <laughs> because it doesn't matter if you're right or wrong. It matters whether or not you're honest about your experience and stay attentive to it. Now, it's easier. It's easy because we all have minds to go off into our minds and be in a big, gigantic, right and wrong argument. And I've got people to go back and say, I resent you for saying that, and I will never forgive you. Because I know if they state that they'll never forgive them, they might get over it. <laughs> but the idea is to stay specific at the level of specific behavior that they said or did. And an argument about who's right or wrong will, like you say, go on and on forever. Well, let's see, James, you and I are going to test this out because we're pretty honest with each other, but we haven't used ex Brad's exact technique. One thing that we do over here in our neck of the woods at the stream is um, is we look at why we're angry. And I, I like to say at times I'm noticing that I'm really angry about this and I'm not sure why. And sometimes I discover by doing that, that it really has nothing to do with the other person and that I'm not even angry at them or that there's some other feeling underneath it that's more relevant and that if I express that feeling, that will get me faster to the resolution than if I just uh, express the anger. So that is something that we use a lot and that has worked for us. Well, it might work, but I don't trust my mind that much. I don't trust yours that much either, frankly. <laughs> what happens that's of value in that is not figuring out why. It's figuring out how, how you're angry, how you got angry. That what, when you're going through that examination about why did I get angry, you're, you're already in your mind trying to figure out what's wrong with what you said or did. And that itself is causing it to be preserved. Now, you might displace it or you might find some reason why you're angry at someone else but you're not really angry at him, but I doubt the authenticity of that. That might allow you to back off and for both of you to cool down a little bit. But the, re the same problem will recur if you don't focus more on how than why. Because why leads you into your mind. And the more you go into your mind, the further you go away from your experience. And when well, you're... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, um, I don't know if that's entirely true. I mean, my experience is it doesn't have to be mental. It can be intuitive. And that uh, maybe you consider that the same thing. I really don't know. But we're having a, an open discussion, right? Yeah, usually I can. when people say they're intuitive, it means that they're thinking something. And it's a better rationalization to say it's intuitive than it's just that they're well, thinking. Because that, 
that's I have an intuition. I understand what you mean by intuition, mm-hmm. but often I don't trust the mind talking about intuition. Uh, well, you know, I can appreciate that, but I think you already have an opinion of what I'm saying and who I am without actually having had the experience. Okay. So you may be right, maybe, but maybe you're not right. So you know when I, I was you, wrong once. Maybe, and so was I, Brad. Maybe I've been wrong okay. even more often than you. And, you know, we, I'm just saying that the way we work in our, you know, our communities, we really develop our intuition. And one of the fascinating things about working intuitively is that it so often goes against what the mind says. Yeah, that's you know, when it's best, I think. It is, and we do a lot of training. We train our intuition, and we focus on that to see, because what we're really doing, I think it's very close to what you're talking about. It's another way to get to it, is that we're really connecting to our bodies. Mm-hmm. We're connecting to our feelings. We're like, shut the fuck up. Oh, I could, I'm not supposed <laughs> to say that on the air, am I? <laughs> oh, well, anyway, um, whatever that was, shut the bleep up. And to myself, right? And just get really, really quiet uh-huh. and go inside. And we would call it, you know, checking in with our intuition, asking for divine guidance, whatever it is. It's really a way of disconnecting from the personality, mind-driven, ego-driven, rationaliz- endless rationalizations uh-huh. that is so exhausting. I mean, I am more exhausted by my rationalizing and just self-justification than I am probably by anything else. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm with that and that the way, you know, just the way we language that, the way we see that, the way we do that, that it's another way I think of getting to the same thing because I'm yeah. connecting to something deeper within myself and simultaneously moving into a higher level of consciousness. But I say higher, I don't mean it hierarchically, but mm-hmm. just like, a, 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 you know, maybe above the mind. Yeah, so, somewhere not in the mind. Yeah. Yeah, somewhere in the not in the mind. So, I. Uh, we're going to be going to, believe it or not, another commercial break in a minute. Um, and let me see. Before we go to commercial break, what question do I want to ask? Oh, yeah. Okay. I'd like to ask you this question, Brad. How, what, are you, what are you working on in yourself today? And I'd love to hear about that when we come back. So stay tuned. Visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Bring Beth into your world in person or via the Internet. Learn how by visiting her website, BethGreen.org. At the website, sign up for her newsletter to keep abreast of her latest activities, blogs, videos, and more. Just for signing up, you'll receive a free PDF copy of Living with Reality, her 688-page volume that helps us understand ourselves in relatable terms, as well as offers a proven program to heal and co-create a better world. But there's more. Learn about Beth's four other books, both fiction and nonfiction. Check out her gorgeous music, which is heartfelt and mystical. Become acquainted with Beth and James's programs for healing and training, and discover their community, the Stream Center for the New Spirituality, which welcomes you wherever you are in the world. All this and more can be found at Beth's website, www.bethgreen.org. Again, that's bethgreen.org. The 7th Wave Channel. 
on the Voice America Network. You're tuned in to Inside Out with Beth Green and co-host James Maynard. To reach us on the show, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. If you'd rather send us an email, the address is beth at bethgreen.org. Now, back to Inside Out. Well, welcome back to Inside Out, and we are... Um, interviewing a delightful guy, Brad Blanton. Oh, and I should ask you, Brad, before I do another thing, before I forget, to please give us your website. It's also on the Inside Out show description, but let's get your website out before I forget. My website is www.radicalhonesty.com. All right, that's easy to remember. Okay, now I have a, of course, I think it's a very great question for Brad, which is what is he working on it for on himself right now? But we're being interrupted by two callers, and I've been begging for callers. So I'm going to shut up, and we're going to go first to Helen in California. Well, I had, I, I had written this question down before you said your question, but I think they're, they're kind of related, which is, Brad, what about yourself? and your own personal history led, your, led you to be interested in radical honesty? Great question. Thank you, Helen. Now, and listen okay. to the show. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Helen. I, I got interested in radical honesty, I think, over a long career in psychotherapy, although the, the first, my first, true interest in it was in the civil rights movement. I got in the civil rights movement in Texas when I was 19 years old in 1959. And, um, and I was in the theater stand-in movement and the restaurant sit-in movement. And I was in mostly in Texas, but also in Louisiana, Mississippi. I got bombed with a lead pipe bomb, cussed, shot at, threatened, and various other things. And I learned that people are really, really, really uh, stuck in ideas that they're certain or are right, that I'm certain or wrong. <laughs> and, and then I also found out that a lot of people lie. People in positions of authority and power lie a yeah. lot. Yeah. And, that, and so I learned that you can't trust people in positions of authority. In fact, during the time I was growing up, then when I was reaching in my 20s and 30s, you know, I was taking LSD and and I was in Haight-Ashbury in the summer of love, and I had a school bus, and I was a hippie, and I did all these things. Mm-hmm. And we had this saying, don't trust anyone over 30. And one of my favorite professors at the University of Texas was a guy who was about 65 years old who came out and began his talk to us by saying, don't trust anybody over 30. <laughs> and we all <laughs> stood here, and we decided we trusted him. <laughs> and uh, the thing is that I learned probably from the anti-Vietnam War group and the civil rights group and from getting a PhD in psychology when I was 25 and then starting in academia and only lasting a year before I got fired in academia because they didn't like the way I told the truth. <laughs> I started understanding that there must be something to this. And when I became a clinical psychologist in Washington, D.C., I actually would could not have been in a better place in the world to become an expert on lying mm. because it's the heart of lying in the world. There's Washington, D.C. 
And so with all these people in therapy with me from the State Department and the CIA and all the different parts of government, a whole lot of lawyers, I saw more lawyers than any other single profession. Then what I learned was that when I coached people to just stop lying, it come really upset they were, the people they were with. It really upset them and it caused a lot of trauma and turmoil in their life in the short run. But within a month or two, people who had been chronically depressed for years were no longer depressed. Mm -hmm. And people who had anxiety disorders for years were no longer anxious. Mm -hmm. And people who couldn't sleep and couldn't have sex could sleep and have sex. And they it came from them refusing to lie anymore. And they some of them lost their jobs, but most of them got promotions. In the course of getting promotions, they got fired maybe and quit two or three times. But after that couple of hour conversation... They get working there. They got more authority, more money, and so forth. And so I started yeah. documenting how it worked over years and years. And when I ran this workshop, I started keeping track. And it turns out that radical honesty does work pretty good most of the time mm -hmm. and a whole lot better than the things that were causing the chronic depression and the chronic anxiety and stuff like that. That basically you let the truth live out loud and you let the chips fall where they may and you stay there toe-to-toe -to -toe until you work it through and you forgive each other and hug each other and go on. That works. It works better than most of the ways of being diplomatic. Diplomacy works the way the world works, which is not at all. And uh, lack of diplomacy works a hell of a lot better if you stick with it and are honest and keep going. I love what you're saying, and I would like to share with you, I don't know if you know anything about my background, but I came up, up through the political movement also as a uh -huh. social activist, uh -huh. and, um, you know, all the movements. And I did that until my mid-30s. But what I, did, I felt about myself, uh, Brad, is that I felt that, that the people who I agreed with and who agreed with me, we were lying too. Yeah. And uh, that's, you know, isn't that the freedom when you get out of that and, you know, getting into that sectarian, um, I, I value me, them, us, you know, just freeing ourselves from that and being able to be more honest about everything is it is a great liberation. And now let's go to Bill. Here's uh, another caller. Okay, Bill, what is your question? Well, uh, it, uh, I have comments. Uh, um, good to hear from you again, Dr. Blanton, um, Mr. Self Promotion, uh, therapist and savior of the world. Um, I, I love the show so far. Awareness, being in your own skin, inside of you, report what's going on inside your own mind. Get dumb, not smart. Uh, leading your, uh, to your own enlightenment. Uh, venting, dumping, not being real. Uh, uh, resentment, pettiness. Experience your experience. Avoidance makes it persistent. Get over things. Categories of your mind. Be specific. The, ow, the I thou relationship. Martin Buber. Anyway, interpretations of feeling. Honest about your own experience. Um, Beth. Uh, yes. Your neck of the woods. Tom Bodet. Okay. How versus why? Not into the mind. People stuck uh, in ideas. Let the truth live out loud. Okay, here we go. Yeah. What's Four your question? Four softballs for Brad. First softball. You're, You're going to have to be fast softballs. You, you want to hide something, put it into the Washington Post. Number two, lose your mind and come to your senses. Number three, 
three, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. Number four, Brad, I'd love to hear you talk about top dog, bottom dog. That's it. Thank you, Bill. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. <laughs> Go for uh, it. I, I like that top dog, bottom dog. I have something to say about that, too, but first, my guest. <laughs> well, Fritz Perel's talked a lot about the top dog, bottom dog game, and I've worked out some exercises that I use in my groups that have to do with people being able to play the role of top dog, bottom dog, and then become conscious of the mind, of the voices in their minds. And the top dog is a voice in your mind that tells you what you should do and scolds you when you don't do that. And the bottom dog is the part of your mind that responds and says, yes, you're right. I know I was wrong. I'll try harder and I'll do the best I can not to do that anymore. And the top dog, bottom dog game is a game that you play in order to not actually take responsibility for your life. Because what happens is the bottom dog always wins. The bottom dog is the one who says, yes, I know, I tried, but it's not good enough, and I'll try harder. And the top dog appears to have all the power, but doesn't. And so the top dog, bottom dog game is a way of having an argument inside your own mind. It's kind of a schizophrenic argument. There's a top dog and a bottom dog. It's kind of like trying to be honest with yourself. You have to have a me and a myself. <laughs> what happens is that honesty works itself out in relation to other people. And you tell them the truth, and you discover what's true for you in the act of speaking to them. You do that because and you do the same thing with regard to running your life, not according to figuring out what you should do and then making yourself do it. It's a big problem with all the whole Judeo-Christian tradition, is that what you're supposed to do in most of that tradition is to figure out what you should do and then make yourself do it. Unfortunately, that doesn't work. What works much better is to figure out what you want to do and align with other people in order to do it and do something that helps you and them both out of your empathy and generosity. It's not the bossiness from within your mind that does the good in your life. It's the willingness to share that leads you rather than the bossiness that pushes you. So that's a real quick and dirty version of the top dog, bottom dog game. It's a distraction to keep you from being obedient to your capacity to love. I love that. I, I don't know if, well, it seems like Bill is very familiar to, with your work, so that's probably the top dog, bottom dog that he was, uh, uh-huh. that he was asking about because I was, of course, interpreting it in a, a different way, which is you know how we have these hierarchies in our minds of, Who's the top dog and who's the bottom dog? And it's very funny, as you were describing your, uh, your paradigm there, that the bottom dog is the one who says, yes, I'll try harder, then doesn't do it anyway. Right. And uh, <laughs> the top dog <laughs> is always frustrated, yet uh, is always blamed. So uh, let me uh, get back. So that I'm not going to go further with that because I think you've probably answered the question that Bill was actually asking. So what is it that you're working on in yourself, uh, Brad? I'd really be interested. Uh, I just turned 73 Sunday. Yay, Brad. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> and um, I'm aware of growing older, and I'm aware of uh, I love to play golf, and I still love doing the work that I do. So I do a workshop in Greece every year, and I do some things like that. There, Everything that I do is fun. I love writing, and I love doing workshops. 
Although I have a number of trainers now. And so what I'm focusing on now is designing an online course called The Course in Completing What Has Been Incomplete. So I'm going to spend my years of completing my life teaching people about completing what they've left incomplete in theirs and doing the same. And what I'm wanting to do is to hand off to about 30 or 40, uh, to 30 or 40 um, trainers the Radical Honesty Enterprises. We have sort of little groups of Radical Honesty people all over the world. Well, there are a lot more in America than in Europe, and there are a few in, the, in Asia. But basically, I'm going to be trying to set people up in business as Radical Honesty practitioners and trainers, mm -hmm. and, and to try to reach thousands of people by running an online course that powerfully teaches people the possibilities of the value of radical honesty, that you go ahead and you go and talk to your parents and tell them what you got by with, what you lied to them about and got by with, tell them what you did to deceive them, tell them what you resent them for, what you appreciate them for, listen to them, uh, talk to them, uh, engage them, and get to forgiveness with them. Absolutely. And do the same thing with your ex-wives or your ex-husbands. That this is to me what's key to changing the way the world works. The works that we're in a very, very dysfunctional world. We have a very, very dysfunctional economy. We have a, a economy that is crashing. It is going to sum to zero. It will not. Every fiat economy in history is summed to zero, and this one is too. We're Brad, going through a long crash. Uh, so, Brad, I don't yes. mean to interrupt you, but I want uh -huh. to make sure that our you know, th this sounds fantastic that people know how to reach you. And since we're running towards the end of our show, can okay. you bring out that information about how can people reach you if they're interested in any of your ideas, books, or programs? Well, if you go to RadicalHonesty.com, there are links there to various other places, but it's all there. Go to RadicalHonesty.com. And the idea of, of transforming the world is through individuals transforming their lives in their families and in their intimate relationships. That if people get really honest and build powerful relationships, we'll actually be able to save ourselves from ourselves. I'll drink to that, even though it's, right. it's, uh, there's no alcohol in my life. But okay. I'll definitely drink to that. And I would really like to see people. This is my dream, Brad, that people uh -huh. would come together at the United Nations and sit down and tell the truth about what they're there for, uh, what's motivating them, <laughs> what kind uh -huh. of pressures are on them, and what, are we, what the heck are we going to do about it? And the same thing in Congress and in the local water board. So I, I, you know, that's a wonderful thing. So thank you so much for being our guest today. Thank and, you very much. I really liked it. I liked oh, talking to you, and I appreciate you for this whole program. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. And um, yay, Brad. And thank <laughs> you. And James, would you like to share what's coming up next week? Yes, I'll be happy to. Our next edition of Inside Out will be Ask Madame Mazurka, who tells all about life, love, and you. You've never met anyone like her. Madame Mazurka is funny, psychic, sexy, Transylvanian, and dead. And she tells all, never inhibited, Madame Mazurka wants you to call in and ask questions about her, life, you, anything that crosses your mind. Even though she's dead, she's more alive than we are. People love her. She's funny. Plus, she gives amazingly perceptive, though blunt answers to whatever you ask. Don't miss this opportunity to meet Madame Mazurka and ask her questions. Just bring your sense of humor with you. 
So it may not come as a surprise to you that if you look at the picture of Madame Mazurka, it looks like a lot like me with a scarf on my head. But it's a completely different character. And I want to tell you, she practices radical honesty more than any of us. So, <laughs> Brad, again, thank you so much for being our guest. And also, You're thank welcome. You. Thanks for having me. And thank you for uh, your listeners and your the people who are interested in you for tuning in to Inside Out. See you next week. Thank you for making us a part of your week. Listen for the next edition of Inside Out with Beth Green and James Maynard next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Have a great week.